What's up, y'all? Welcome to the Stormcrow Comic Cast, Volume 2, Issue 3. I'm Ruben G. I'm Kevin Merrill. And Saga Part 3. You know, uh, we end with the horrors appearing. They're the kids, uh, you know, sort of ghostly, uh, all grievously wounded, yeah. you know, horrible. Glowing stuff. red. That's right. And I don't remember from the last page, and in fact, I know because I went back and looked, that they don't appear to be translucent in that last page. But both on the cover and the first page, they are translucent. You can see through these kids. Now, they're sort of reddish and whatnot, but you can see objects behind them. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think Elena's foot on the first page, but on the cover, just the trees and branches, um, the outline is clearly visible through her, which isn't a big deal. But, you know, that last page, I don't think it shows it that way. It just shows them as sort of red glowing messed up kids right um you know i wonder if it's your foot going through the guy's head at the bottom i mean that's her foot it's pretty clear and i wonder if 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 the i don't know it seems a little bit inconsistent though it may have been purposely misleading though to hide the fact that we'll shortly find out they are ghosts and so maybe I just didn't want to reveal that quite at the end of the issue and save it for later. It's not like they do it with a big bang or anything. And it's like, oh, my God, they're actually ghosts. Crazy. Right. But, but instead, they sort of save that information for later. Um, yeah, I'm just kind of like flipping through, though. And the background isn't always translucent through them. Well, well, remember, translucent isn't transparent. It doesn't mean you can just see right through it. It's, you know. Yeah. It's looking through something shaded and colored. And right. so I think it's not always going to be clear, but, but fair enough, you know, whatever the reasoning is, you can't always see through them, but at least at times yeah. you can. And I mean, you know, we're going on about this. It's not right. like it's the biggest deal. I, I think one of the, one cool thing that they could have done yeah. is like only living things. You can see through them. <laughs> okay. Like this you know is some I mean? vampire things. So your image yeah, in a mirror. Kind of. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But like, you can't see like a rock. Or yeah. a boulder behind them, but you could see Elena's foot or whatever. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? So, yeah, right but on. anyway, issue three. Issue, issue three. three. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, Marco is perhaps dying. He He's in the blood, laying on the ground, Elena holding Hazel, yeah. and the ghosts approaching, or yeah, just call them ghosts, I guess. He's on the front cover. He can't die. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The Marco rule of common books. He's like Rick. That's right. Um, <laughs> And of course, you know, the, the sort of main ghost girl, um, was offering help right? when, when she finally revealed herself. Yeah. Um, so Elaine is still pleading for her life here and we've got the, yeah. the narration going on. You know, my mom, my mom once said the hardest part of parenting is knowing when to ask for help. And, uh, Elaine is going, you know, please, please don't kill me. Please don't orphan my girl. Yeah. Um, cause at this point I think she's, she's assuming here and uh, and kind of the the leader of of the horrors here picks up on it. Elena in this page thinks that Marco's dead. Yeah. Please don't kill me. Please don't orphan my girl. And then you turn the page, and the 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 ringleader here says, you know, relax. Your husband's not dead, not yet, anyway. Right. Um, you know, it's kind of stupid of Elena to say, please don't orphan my girl. Mm. Now. I'm just going to throw this out there, but if you've got ghost children, I can imagine many a story in which that's exactly what they would want to do. We are dead. We are revenging ourselves. We right. will orphan children. And, you know, like, don't be, there's no need to suggest it to them. Like, yeah. don't orphan my girl. How does she know if she's, and honestly, if she's thinking that there's still these monsters that are horrors, um, she's not convinced they're nice yet. Yeah, pardon me. So, like, if she, if they're monsters, is she really going to be playing for sympathy here? You know what I mean? Yeah. So whatever. I don't know. You're scared. You, you just uh, throw anything. Yeah. Th throw anything out there to just try and get away from the situation. But uh, this ringleader, she's pretty cool and she's pretty sharp and uh, sort of talks her down a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Again, the relax, your husband's not dead. And the narration continues, even the most independent of uh, new parents will need the uh, backup weathering the occasional storm. Uh, it doesn't take a village to raise children. It takes a whole galaxy, former friends, random acquaintances, complete strangers. Uh, Elena goes on with, you know, how do you know? 
And <laughs> that he's not and, dead. You know. Right. Yeah. yeah. And and the ghost the ghost goes, How do you think, lady? We're effing ghosts. Right. Um it's yeah. just a really, really good line. One of the things I really feel in this issue, and, and there's a couple of times we've sort of touched on it, um, but like how good Fiona Staples is at showing emotion. There yeah. are a lot of close-ups in this book. Um, you know, just the kind of deadpan look she gets she gives as she says we're effing ghosts um but elaine a lot through this issue is she's dealing with all this stuff um just some really good expressive emotive little close-ups here yeah. and uh anyway so so she's kind of continuing with her prejudice or whatever saying mm-hmm. no your your horrors and uh, the the ghost replies, "Is that seriously what you you guys call indigenous peoples? That's kind yeah. of racist, don't you think?" So maybe a little bit of commentary there. Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, it's just how we would talk about that, you know. If you, God forbid, use the word "negro" in public, like people are going to give you a look. Negro is not necessarily racist, but it's just so dang antiquated that yeah. it's like, oh my God, you're not in touch. You're calling us whores, like yeah. what? Uh, well, you know they. They could be speaking Spanish, and yeah. in which case it doesn't have any sort of negative connotation. Yeah. So, but anyway, but no, Elena goes on saying, you're monsters. Marco said, uh, you slaughter innocent men and women. And uh, the ghost just kind of replies, no, we can project some uh, some nasty stuff into outsiders' heads, but that's just an illusion. After us locals die, we get to live on as spiritual defenders of Cleve. But clearly... That's not a good evolutionary plan since your two armies had no problem wiping our people off the map. Right. It wasn't very effective. Yeah. And Elena goes, I swear to you, we have nothing to do with this war. Which, you know, I don't know. Uh, she's she's in the heat of the moment. She yeah. used to. Whatever. Well, she's, a ban- she's abandoned. She has, she's she, AWOL. She is, AWOL. You know, yeah. she does have some involvement that she was military. Yeah. But, you yeah. know. but again, heat of the moment. She's not going to go back. Oh, but, but see, I used to be <laughs> yeah, and yeah. now I'm not anymore. So it's cool. No, she's still trying to figure out the situation. Right, right. right. So uh, we just want to take care of our, our Hazel. And, and Marco starts to kind of come to. Yeah, it's him sort of mumbling a little. Yeah, his eyes open up. He, he's house, house Hazel. Um, Elena goes to Marco, comforting her. And this is actually kind of a cool line, too, I think. I don't know. It's it's something small, but, you know, she replies she's fine. She's got the only decent man in the universe for her daddy. Um, and then we have this conversation amongst the horrors. Right. Um, They're sort of debating what to do, and... Most of the other, obviously the the girl, the ringleaders were, were calling her. Um, she's engaged Elena and Marco and Hazel and she wants to help, but the other ones aren't so down with that. Um, you know, one of the boys points out he's, he looks like the one who burned our village. This is interesting, actually. Um, she says, but he's not, you heard how sweet he was with his kid. Right. And yet another girl says, just because we can understand these two doesn't mean they're the good guys. So they're not usually able to understand people. Yeah. And why is that? Maybe the rings, the rings. Remember we were talking about had some sort of communication. Yeah, they're, they're Star ability. Trek communicators That's or right. whatever. Yeah. yeah. And then the, one of the other boys, he just turns around, whatever. I don't want to be here when the horned one kicks. And so they all just kind of ditch them. And um, the ringleader, stays by as you know elena crouches over marco checking on him yeah um calls everyone else a bunch of big babies right, right points right. out that they're intangible yeah you know, good stuff kind of funny yeah, yeah but they they just i don't know if they're bored or you know just uncomfortable they don't want to be a part of it and so elena is is crouched over him and you know saying hey listen you, you got magic like <laughs> what's up let's do something right and marco reveals that for a healing spell he actually needs snow and this next panel is one of those expressive emotive panels for me. Marco, it's sweltering out. I I don't even know where to find water. And the look on her face of just, I don't know, complete and utter hopelessness, you know, it's just, oh my God, what a, what a p- picture there. It's yeah. really good. And, and, the, and the ghost replies, I can get you what you need. 
for a price, and then she unzips her pants. And <laughs> <laughs> She's got no pants. So Adult themes. Yeah, yeah. Oh, we didn't give our spoiler, our uh, not pardon me, spoiler warning, but our, our parental advisory here, like a little bit late, but uh, better late than never. Like, hey, if you got any kids around, turn off the podcast. There's your advisory. Okay, let's move on. Uh, and, and Elena kind of replies. Uh, yeah, she tells the ghost to zip her pants back up, and then says, "Talk fast." <laughs> um, and then he goes, okay, look, it, or no, excuse me. The ghost goes, you two are trying to find a way off my stupid planet, right? Take me with you. Um, and then Elena's just like, yeah, sure. Welcome to the family. Now give me my snow. And uh, the ghost goes, well, it's not that simple. I'm connected to Cleve, so I can only leave if I'm bonded or, yeah, yeah. bonded to the soul of a, li- of a living native. And Elena goes, so I wasn't born here. And then the ghost points out you know, wasn't talking about you. And right. then the panel zooms in on, on Hazel. Um, and uh, the narration goes on some more, despite what you may have heard. Good help. Isn't all that hard to find. Turn the page. It's just hard to find cheap. That's right. So they're way off this planet. First of all, they're just trying to save Marco and they, they want to do a healing spell on him. They need snow. Yeah. They're in basically a sweltering jungle. And, Isabel, well, I'm kind of ruining it. Her, her name will surely find out as Isabel. Mm-hmm. The, the ghost is um, like, this is the deal. I'll help you get out of here. I'll help you get him healed. But I need to bond to the soul of your newborn child <laughs> who's been uh, alive, what, three and a half, four days at this point? Something right. like that. Um, so that's that's the quandary. What's, what's Elena going to do? Because she basically has to sort of make this choice on her own. Obviously, Hazel can't you know, give her any input. And Margo is barely alive. Yeah. So it's kind of all on her right now. And then the, uh, the story cuts to our, uh, robot buddy. Yeah. Prince robot. Yeah. Change of scenery. Yeah. It looks like a military compound. There's barbed wire on the gated fences. No photography. Indeed. There's a, there's a sign up for that. Uh, so he, he walks in into this, this interrogation room is, is all white, sort of like, uh, either the dark Knight or man of steel, take your pick. Cause they were <laughs> using the same room. Apparently, <laughs> Um, and there's this, this guy, he's, he's got this black hood over, over his face. Um, he, he presents himself. He says, my name is Prince Robot and I can, uh, make life in here at least somewhat more tolerable. He for starts you. by playing good cop. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. Uh, can you understand my language? And then whoever this, this now, captive guy is. No, no, no. I do want to point out, he doesn't actually say, can you understand my language? He says, can you understand language? Yeah. yeah. So he's kind of talking down to him. This yeah. is more about like the racial stuff. Right. Like, can you understand language? You caveman. Like, yeah. you know, it's, it's very rude. It's, and, know. and language is a proper noun in the story too. That's what they refer to as. Oh, okay. The well then maybe I'm speaking. taking out of context. So that, that's fair. Yeah. That's how they do. It's not yeah. necessarily insulting. It's kind of like uh, like English in Star Wars is called basic or something like right, that. Right, right. So they just call it language. Fair. Yeah. Okay. Um, and so the guy re- responds with with his his own language. Um, <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And and Prince Robot pulls off his hood and goes, I'm "Good enough. Um, I'd like to ask you some questions about a guard who used to bring you your meals. What do you remember about this woman?" And then on his face, his his television face, he projects an image of Elena. And this might be the first time he's actually doing it on purpose that we've seen. Yeah. And and it's kind of informative. It's like, okay, he can control that. We've only seen these, what we took as flashback like moments. Some but, weird, like, horrific PTSD type right, stuff. Right, right, right. But he's doing it on purpose here. He'll do it again for Marco in a minute. Show show the, because uh, the, the hooded guy is, you know, he's a, a Rethian soldier. He's got sort of almost triceratops horns, if you will. Um, he spits at Prince Robot too. Yes, he does. Yes, as soon as does. he sees the image of Elena, and I, I, I wonder if he's spitting at Prince Robot just because he wants to spit him, or if he's actually spitting at Elena. Yeah, I think like in this context, it might just be he's spitting at Robot, even though he does it right immediately after seeing it. Um, this look on his face, I think he's just waiting for the opportunity to talk smack and be difficult for this guy yeah. and just, you know, give him the finger, so to speak. And and of course, Prince Robot wipes off the, the front of his screen. I'll take that to mean she provided the kind of humane treatment you barbarians have never afforded your prisoners of war. And he's referring to Elena, um, you know, being facetious there, of course. And he goes on and he questions him 
about the novel. That right. we've heard Elena. Elena had this book that she was always reading. I think she was trying to get McHenry to, uh, you know, this Lance Corporal McHenry or whatever to to read it or whatnot. And so Prince Robot produces this book. He shows them the cover and asks if it means anything to you. And I got to say that I think the cover of this book is suggestive. It's the might be coincidental, but the male figure, this is sort of the Harlequin romance novel, Fabio kind of deal. And, and he's showing the book and the male character, it's got a male and a female embraced on the cover. The male character kind of reminds me of the soldier that's in this very scene. Right. And then the female character maybe has wings. She's got a big sort of um, big hair, really. She's got big flowing hair. Like and it, white, it like angel wings. Yeah, It kind of looks yeah. like wings behind it. And, I don't remember thinking this earlier, but now I look at it and I'm like, eh, I don't know. Now, the yeah. man doesn't have any horns. Well, here's the but thing. He looks like. Exactly. And I, I think you're on the right track here. They're obviously two different species in yes. love, which yes. is the parallel between Elena and Marco. Yes. Um, that, 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 that's right. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So you've got like this, this rocky looking guy, sure. kind of, and then uh, Poison Ivy. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Pretty much. Um, but anyway, he, he questions, does this book mean anything to you? Right, right. Turn the page again. And then uh, did Elena ever try to share passages from this? You know, and, and basically um, he's trying to find out, I think, you know, is this some form of propaganda that maybe led to her going AWOL from the army possibly? Like, is she is she trying to spread some sort of message around I don't know. I don't know if that's what he's I think getting he's at. He's maybe just fishing for anything at this point, yeah. you know, seeing, trying to get any information. Have you seen this woman? Have you seen this book? Have you seen him, her sharing? I mean, maybe it's, you know, she, there is a conspiracy. She's got other people in it. Who knows? He's just going for anything. Yeah. And we get Marco on the screen now. And, um, cause, cause at first, like right after he asked that question, like this prisoner has a very sort of like confused kind of look on his face. Like, you know, what are we, what are you trying to, you know what I mean? Like just, if, if you look at the expression. Absurd. Yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah, he, he says the, you know, it's, it's nine panels on the page, all the same size. And the first top left panel is Prince Robot asking him, did Elena ever try to share passages with this tome with anyone? And then the next panel is the uh, Rethian soldier. And he does have this sort of blank look of utter confusion. Just yeah. like, what? Like, what are you talking about? Um, so I don't know. I just sort of the way I took it is it was just absurd to him. Like you're asking me about this woman sharing a book or like, what? right. But then we get Marco it moves right on in that, that third panel. And, um, you know, he's asking how did this prisoner escape on a lane his watch? And why didn't he take you or any other wreath prisoners with him? See, he just calls him wreath. He doesn't say wreath in the horrible way I've been doing just wreath prisoner. Anyway, <laughs> And we get some more of the Rethian language. Um, and once again, very much like Spanish, he says, Marco estas perfidulo. And, you know, perfidy is sort of like a synonym for like treachery. Yeah. And so, you know, I think we can sort of get some of these language analogs and make best guesses on right. it. Because Marco's AWOL too. And yeah. he's, he's a conscientious objector or whatever. So like this prisoner is saying like Marco is a traitor. Pretty right. Much. Yeah. Right. I think that's fair to interpret it that way. Now, Prince Robot perhaps knows a little bit of the Rethian language or is just very observant because the next panel, that, that second panel on the, in the middle of the page. So his birth name is Marco, eh? And he's kind of his head kind of cocked to the side as if, you know, understanding yeah now we're getting somewhere and at this point the rethian soldier abandons his his mother tongue and just starts speaking language right right and he just talks smack i mean this guy all obviously we know prince robot has been in some vicious battles yeah um and the soldier taunts him he brings up uh, this battle called a uh, battle at like threshold none. Yeah. And um, you know, the robot is, yes, I, I fought it threshold. Yes. Along with a lot of other brave soldiers. What does that have to do with Elena? No thing. I just rem like, remember how much of you a heads we buried that day. <laughs> and 
Prince Robot flips out. Yeah, his his his, <laughs> his screen goes to like static or right. white Snow, noise or whatever. Yeah. Um, flips the table and then you know slams the guy against the wall. Uh, and I know he's a robot, but this yeah. is clearly superhuman strength. Right, he punches the soldier perhaps in the gut and. This guy gets off his feet. I mean, he was seated basically at this table and gets launched back into the wall and, and sort of forms a crater along the wall yeah. and perhaps blood kind of spilling out of him loosely. And and then he makes the, the, the comment, you know, he, he says, you know, kind of like in a mocking way, humane. Right, because he had referred to how, how uh, the treatment of soldiers is perhaps not. Right. And he just starts beating them. And at this point, his arm changes into a cannon. So in the opening scene, when we saw the other robot, um, he had the cannon arm. Yeah. And, you know, not sort of sure is, is do they switch these out? Mm. Are some robots just have a cannon arm or some don't? But Prince Robot in the panel just before, you can see his fist and his knuckles. Right. And then the next panel, his arm has turned into this cannon, this Mega Man cannon. Yeah, then, then comes our... Uh... Our friend from last issue, I, for, I forget her name. I think Lance point. Corporal McHenry. Lance yeah, Cor- yeah. yeah. And uh, what the heck are you doing? And and I don't know. I I kind of maybe just because of, I've recently watched the movie, I like to think that her accent is like those in Fargo. Fargo? Yeah. What the hell are you doing? Yeah, I, yeah I something like that, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Now, now, <laughs> I'm just now, throwing Prince, that out there. Prince Robot, and his screen is now like a vortex, does his best Negan impression. Right. <laughs> Commencing my interview. Now be a deer and F the F off. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, narration picks back up. Help can be nice, but some jobs are just too important to delegate. That's right. So, uh, And then we, we cut back to Elena, to Marco, to Isabel. Yeah, Elena being awesome here. You know, another close-up of her, a lot of strain and this sort of fixed look in her eyes as she huffs. Nicole's, carrying both Marco and right. Hazel. She's carrying her entire family right now. Right. Um, what a cool, awesome moment. And I think, like, something that really makes me like and respect her is this moment. She will do anything for her family. She is literally carrying her family up a mountain. And, um, you know... We get in a name for Isabel at this point. They, now, they talk about the map a little bit. Uh, my map says there's something called Fort and Mountain, our way to the rocket ship forest. At least at that elevation, there's bound to be snowfall. Um, but Isabel warns that they they might not have time. It's going to bleed out and that she knows a shortcut. And, you know, Elena, forget it. I'm not about to share my newborn with some anonymous spook from... <sighs> and I, I guess here she's... Uh, She's kind of Just giving out. There's in. only so much she can physically do. Right. She might need that shortcut, maybe. Right. And, and you then know, we, Isabel. We get the name reveal. We get the name. I'm not anonymous. My name is Isabel. Now, Isabel, I got to say, is kind of remarkably similar to the name Hazel. There's the Z in there. There's the E and the L. Yeah. Now, I'm being loose with it, but there aren't a lot of names with Z in it. So as soon as I see two names of major characters in the book that have Z... I get to thinking yeah. and, and they have the possibility of being joined together. Yeah. And so, you know, what's the connection? Is that a metaphor for, you know, them being similar, maybe parts of the same thing or something like that. But I think it sort of uh, invites thinking about those ideas. Sure. You know? And uh, anyway, so, so, so Elena sits down um, and Hazel is upset and, and Elena goes, Hazel, please, Mommy just fed you. And then Isabel points out she's not hungry. She's gassy. Yeah. She shows her credentials. Here. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, and she goes on, you've been burping her all wrong. You got to get right between the wingtips with the flat of your palm. Don't be afraid to really whack the crap out of her. And, and dude, more good close-ups of expressive emotion in the next three panels. Yeah. Doubt in the first one as she just stares at Isabel. Then it's sort of like, you know, conceding that she's going to try it, but she doesn't like it. I, I don't yeah. have a good, you know, uh, adjective for that. But she whaps her. And then surprise and sort of dawning of an understanding like, holy crap, that worked. Yeah. You know, Isabel, I mean, Hazel is immediately quiet and seems happy again. Yeah, because on, on this page, every panel, uh, 
has has had the the Hazel's in has had the caption of her crying or whatever. Yeah. And then there's that one whap and then silence. Yeah. Yeah. So Isabel knows her stuff. She's yeah. good, and we find out why. Oldest of seven here. I'm guessing you were an only child. So you know, I don't know. Isabel's kind of cool and nice, and you know, we we get a little bit of. Uh, a sense of her, her family and whatnot. We'll get a little bit more of her family too. And uh, I like how there's not this big, stupid paragraph, tons of words on the page that are explaining a backstory, but just through the dialogue, we're getting to know a little bit of the history of the characters. And right. I think we've seen that a lot through the first, you know, two issues, certainly. Yeah. Um, but just dialogue that informs you instead of just boring, dry exposition. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And and Elena goes, you know, I appreciate what you're trying to do, but I can't trust my only child to someone I just met. I'd have to discuss it with my husband before. And Isabel just cuts her off, says, dude, your husband is going to die. I love it when people call chicks dudes. Something about that in the <laughs> real world, like a chick calls another chick dude. I'm just like, that's awesome. Yeah. And like, I don't know. It's just very casual. It's the word dude. I mean, right. you know, just like baby daddy. And there's all this sort of common slang in here, but you know, grounds it, makes it familiar, makes it relatable, makes the dialogue go by and not see weird and wonky and whatever. Right. You know? And uh, Elena goes, well, you know, then, uh, then I'll find him a resurrection spell. And as she's saying this, she's picking Marco back up. Um, and Isabel goes, there's no such thing. Trust me. Dead is dead. And it blows. Right. We get a little bit of, um, context for what are the limits of both technology and magic in this saga world. You know, you can't come back from the dead. Right. Maybe you can be a ghost, but you're intangible. Yeah. Potential saga walking dead crossover in the future. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. The dead do return. Um, and, and Elena goes, look, I've been burned before. How do I know your shut, your shortcut is even real? And, and they're entering the, the mouth of this cave and, and the side of the mountain. And Isabel goes, I'll show you. Come on, follow me. And Elena's into the ominous cave of doom. Right, right. <laughs> She's her arms open inviting them. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and Isabel goes on, or you can uh, take your chances out here. But fair warning, not all the locals are as awesome as me. <laughs> Some cool dialogue between these two characters. Another change of scene. Uh, we're back to the stock, who is being chased by some rather monstrous uh, boars. Yeah, indeed. Giant wild pigs with uh, multiple tusks. <laughs> it's yeah, pretty funny. She's, she's in a little bit of a situation, and uh, she's running away. She's, she's shooting behind her as she runs. And uh, she pulls out her cell phone, uh, and or whatever it is, and goes, yeah. "Phone, call the will." Looks like a Easter egg. Yeah, and then we go back to to the will's onion in space. Um, <laughs> incoming call from the stalk, and uh, the will goes, "No, no way, I'm never picking up for that woman again." And Lion Cat just goes, "Lying." <laughs> Indeed, he gives her, he, 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 yeah, he gives her a look. You know, a few, <laughs> <laughs> and. Uh, uh, apparently he does pick up the phone and he says, you know, what do you want? And uh stalk replies, nice to hear, hear you too. Will that was my favorite duo these days. We're busy, real busy. I bet. Look, I found uh, those two deserters and their gross kid. The ones wreath high command is offering a boatload for. And the wills like, uh, so you're calling a gloat and uh, the will, or excuse me, the stalk continues. I found them, but I haven't captured them yet. This plan is trickier than I thought, and I could use a partner. So she's reaching out to the will for help at this point. And um, the will replies, actually, maybe it'd be best if you and I just kept our distance. So there's some prior history going on yeah, here. Yeah. And the stalk goes, what? This isn't about the, uh, the, Dort, the Dortminster, Dortminster yeah. assignment, is it? And uh, will were freelancers. Sleeping around is in the job description. You're a professional, all right. Anyway, good luck with your big career. And, uh, you know, the stalk's kind of like, oh, F you, you self-righteous piece of bald. Um, <laughs> yeah, it calls him bald. Uh-huh. Dude, this is, this is kind of important. So they, uh, they do know each other, yeah. and it appears they had an intimate relationship. This freaky spider chick and the Will, who appears to be mostly human or whatever. And, like, she 
he thought it was more serious than she did. Right. And like, she was sleeping around. She didn't care. And he like totally took it to heart. He was like, so hurt him or whatever. I mean, he's got his sort of forehead cradled in his hand as he's talking to her. He looks so in pain. Um, it's kind of funny. It's kind of funny. Yeah. Like, you know, especially the way the the stalk ends the conversation too. <laughs> she goes, yeah. Oh, blind cat takes a massive crap on your stupid Cape tonight. Call ended. And, yeah. and, and then so kind of murmurs a little bit or whatever, not saying anything. Yeah. Um, but clearly wasn't too excited about the way the stalk ended the conversation. That's right. And the onion mobile sort of pulls up to a big neon sign in space. Yeah. Which, uh, which reads sextillion. Yes. Yeah. So he's going to put that white card to good use and go get some affection. That's, that's what I'm, that's what I'm talking about, man. That's what this, <laughs> yeah. what this book is really all about. It's not true at all. <laughs> <laughs> not at all. Um, back in the cave, back in the cave, yeah. I mean, Isabel sort of directing them through and, uh, right. There's there's big flames and dude beautiful colors on this page the flames the greens and blues of the cave itself uh really kind of pretty right there that's another piece that I think would be wonderful wonderful original art to sure. to have at home um the the fire is an illusion this is an illusion of the horrors and uh, sort of magically Isabel wipes it away with her hand yeah and we get more of Isabel's family. The, uh, my parents built them to hide the resistance from invaders like you guys. Elena looks up at her. Pack up. Your family were terrorists. And all oh, the social commentary is strong here. <laughs> um, you know, uh, Isabel ref uh, replies, I think they prefer freedom fighters. But whatevs. The whole rebellion thing was never really my bag. So uh, I think kind of, you know, point out to some conversations that have been had before about, you know, what's going on in the world today. Um, and then Elena goes, well, then how did you, and Isabel goes, get my, my ticket punch stepped on a random landmine. Don't know who's yeah. so referring back to the, the warring factions. It could have been either sides. I, I think is what she's trying to say. Uh, and she, she continues, I guess it's my patriotic duty to stick around and like, haunt the enemy yeah. but my heart was barely in the fight when i was alive just give me a little peace and quiet already you know it, isabel's lines are really good yeah. they're just so spot on talking to a teenager or whatnot and she's really gained elena's trust by this yeah. point yeah, yeah elena's opening up and and, and then she she asks this the soul bonding thing will it hurt my girl and uh isabel replies only on the day it ends flip over again and uh, narration goes, rich kids get nannies, but the rest of us have babysitters. Um, and Elena goes, fine, just make it fast, please. Isabel, sweet. And uh, the narration goes on saying, Isabel was my first. All right. Going so, back to the babysitter thing. That's right. And, and, you know, she just talked about how their separation would be the painful part of it. Yeah. And we know right away that that is going to happen. You know, they will be separated. Isabel was only her first babysitter. Yeah. Babysitter. You know, and uh, I guess you could add on extra babysitters, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. um, Isabel goes, you won't regret this, ma'am. <laughs> and Elena goes, call me ma'am again. I find a way to kill you a second time. She's awesome. dude. Yeah. Elena is so, she's so capable and she has confidence in these pages and she's doing what she needs to do. Uh, I really like it. Both the dialogue and her action are great here. We get uh, Marco murmuring a little bit. They're now in a boat sailing through this cave. Oh. And this is how this issue is going to end. And it's, I don't know, it's not like a, um, it's not like a huge cliffhanger, but it's kind of like a what moment that's, that's coming right. up. It's, it's not a uh, dangerous cliffhanger. Right. It's a super dramatic one, yeah. though. So he's murmuring, and what does he say? He's, he's saying, please. And, and then you go back to the conversation real quick with, with Elena. Great news, hon. I bought us a ride in some sort of magic boat that you should be catching snowflakes on your tongue in no, in no time. And uh, actually, I think Marco completes her sentence there unintentionally, yeah. maybe. Yeah. 
and, and goes. Yeah, he's he, he's using no time in a different sense. Please, yeah. no time. Right. And, go, go ahead. No, no, no. It's all you. It's yeah. All you. Please, no time. Please tell my bride I loved her. Elena leaning over. Marco, Marco, I'm right here. Please tell Gwendolyn I loved her so much. Like, uh. <laughs> and then you turn the page, and there's this awesome kind of splash page with just uh, Hazel, Elena, and, and Isabel in the background, and Elena's just like, "Who the f is Gwendolyn?" <laughs> right, right. And then the issue ends. It's funny. It's like you know, they're still in a dangerous situation, but clearly the cliffhanger moment isn't really about that. It's not horrors appearing or glowing eyes. Right. It's just the, what the F moment. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you've been cheating on me. What's up? <laughs> Dude, look at their expressions. I'm telling you, there's yeah. so many great sort of facial uh, poses here that really just evoke so much. Sure. It's really cool. And now we do get our first legit letters page mm -hmm. and it is titled to be continued. Um, bunch of fun stuff, a couple, you know, worth mentioning. I think one of the things I enjoy about this letters page is it's not all just strictly about the comics. Right. It's sort of about like cultural stuff and sharing yeah. and, you know, people tell sometimes sharing stuff that happened in their life. Some of it's, uh, it's really heavy. Some of it's very lighthearted. Uh, I think this letters page is a little bit more on the lighthearted side, right. uh, but like there's somebody sharing a cocktail recipe, <laughs> just like totally cool. Um, one really funny one, uh, totally absurd. Um, Dear BKV, I noticed that there are winged horses on landfall. Presumably, these are just dumb animals. But there are also anthropomorphic monkeys and alligators who are clearly intelligent. So I have to know, are there anthropomorphic horses, and do they ride the regular winged horses? Because that would be like Quick Draw McGraw riding a Pegasus, and that is a comic book I want to read. I do too. <laughs> yes. That's the entire letter. Like totally awesome. Yeah. And like his good sense of humor for totally being willing to publish it. And right. just, you know, put it in his book. One of the cooler letters is actually somebody who is largely critical of saga. And one thing in particular, I think is totally topical for us. Um, this is about halfway through this longer letter in the middle of the next page. The strange mixture of our real world and a fantasy world. It's odd to hear a fairy with wings and a man-ram hybrid cursing in English. And what's with the anti-gun comments about keeping guns in the home? The blatant use of liberal propaganda statistics in the middle of a fantasy tale ripped me right out of the story. What were you trying to accomplish with that comment? If their plan is anything like Earth, can another character point out to Marco's statistics regarding how many lives are saved each year by having access to a gun in the home for protection? Now, the the gun stuff sort of aside, the he's uncomfortable, and I believe it is him, yeah, Jerry Smith is uncomfortable with the mixture of real world and fantasy world. And it takes him out of the moment. Now, the gun thing, the statistics, he might feel that like, you know, hey, there's a liberal agenda and whatever's out there. Right. But for me, this kind of stuff is just more like it's, it makes the conversation real. It makes the dialogue real. It's just like saying whatevs or dude or, you know, a lot of these is just like, no, it's just real life stuff. Right. And he's sort of inserted it into this. And yeah. for me, it sort of eases the suspension of disbelief. It makes it easier to deal with the random stuff sure. when I relate to the character so much, but it doesn't for him. It doesn't for him. Yeah, it's interesting too, because I mean, we, you know, on, on, uh, in our various conversations that we've had before, you know, uh, big proponent of the second amendment or whatever right sure. here. Yeah. And uh, none of that really stuck out to me as a liberal agenda or anything right, like that. Right. To me, it very much so just felt like, you know, Brian K. Vaughn's trying to make this, this fantasy that we're reading more relatable by yeah. having those same sorts of conversations that we have here. Now in the modern sense, I could believe if BKV was pretty liberal, like that wouldn't shock me yeah. or whatever. But uh, it, it didn't, to me, it didn't come across as like liberal propaganda or anything right, like that. Right. Right. It was just, this was the writing of it. And I think it was like, he was, I will take it very intentionally mixing real world stuff with this sort of crazy stuff. Um, but reading back, and I, I sort of remembered it in the back of my head, but I just hadn't thought about it in a while. I'll read, I'll reread comics a lot. I reread some of my favorite books yeah. all the time. 
but I rarely reread the letters pages. Mm. Usually I just read them the first time. Maybe I'll flip through it the second time. And then when I go back to the book, I'm just, I'm just going through the story or whatnot. So this had escaped me. And it was just so shocking because we have over and over commented in a positive way about this mix of the real world in this fantasy world. And this Really wanted to share that. Yeah, and this yeah. guy's taking issue with this. So not everyone's on board with it like we are, apparently. Yeah, yeah. I think for some people, like, they do want a cl- complete escape, a complete fantasy yeah. world or whatnot. Um, but, you know, one of the things a lot of fantasy books that, that takes me out of the moment are these weird sort of unwieldy names and towns and ways of speaking. It's like going back to Shakespeare and, you know, grade school. It's like, what the heck are they talking about? And for me, like that doesn't become a problem because the dialogue is so realistic and it is just like talking to people. And so I can just move through the story and take it at face value at times, at least. Did we get any responses in this to the, those several questions? No, no, no. Remember that he didn't do the reader survey until issue two and people are writing in response to issue one gotcha. so i would presume that next issue we'll get some uh i haven't read ahead during this reading of it for the podcast right um but you know if it's online you give it another issue i imagine it'll yeah. be there um there's also a, a a fun really just super exuberant letter you know some of the time it's hard to feel emotion from this but this dude is totally psyched uh, you know, just fl- this book is so rad. A poop joke on the first page. Gorgeous <laughs> art by Fiona. Amazing world balloon, word balloon placements, which is, you know, that's kind of funny to say. Yeah. Uh, that incredible job Brian does of walking the line between cheeky and clever dialogue. A talking monkey, science versus magic, treasure maps, rows with TV heads, alligator butlers, impossible babies between races, a rocket ship forest, a big old lie detecting kitty. <laughs> goes on and on. And it's just like, you know, this dude's obviously pumped. And, um, Vaughn enjoys how pumped he is. And so he awards him a prize. Ryan K. Vaughn gives out prizes every month. So you should totally write into his book because you might get some random, weird, awesome Brian K. Vaughn swag. Yeah. And uh, what does he send him to time? Oh, and by the way, uh, Brian K. Vaughn doesn't actually pick the winner. Instead, it's his his dachshund hamburger. Hamburger K. Vaughn, I think is his full name. Hamburger K. Vaughn has picked uh, the exuberant letter of Ricky Purden as the first winner. And he actually got, which is ridiculously awesome, uh, a signed copy of Saga, you know, with his, with Brian K. Vaughn's sketch of the will, uh, a necktie, a mostly empty pack of dentine ice, (laughs) Glee Escapist, a nice Italian edition of the Escapist graphic novel that uh, Vaughn did. Um, one person of interest branded room key from the last Comic-Con and a cigar shaped like a giant baseball bat. So basically he gets a signed copy of Saga and then a bunch of random weirdness out of yeah. BKV's drawer or whatever. Kind of funny. So an enjoyable letters page. I think it sets the tone both with its humor and uh, the fact that he doesn't mind printing criticism, which is nice to see. Right. Um, but great. I, I really liked this issue. I think some of the highlights for me were, were definitely like, they're really emotive close-ups. And, you know, uh, if Isabel is indeed bonding herself with Hazel, then I think it's fair to guess she's going to be a really important character, you know, going on. Um Really cool. What do you think? Dude? No, no. I, I, I think it was a solid uh, issue. I think maybe, um, maybe my favorite part is the ending to it. I, I kind of yeah, like that, yeah, uh, yeah. that cliffhanger moment to where there's definitely, you can see that there's going to be some drama between Marco and right, right, yeah. coming up. Um, it, it seems like this might be the first time they've been in conflict. I mean, they, they argued some about the map and what they were going to do. Yeah. Uh, but, but this is something that really affects their relationship. Yeah. Yeah, I thought that was a cool moment. And I also want to mention, I also enjoyed uh, how strong Elena was in this issue. She was very heroic and, you know, taking the whole family literally on her back, you know, climbing up a mountain. So just a cool moment that I think will pay off at the end, you know, or later on as she deals with trials and tribulations. It'll so easy to really like her after she did that. You know, I mean, I think I think I don't know if it's that deep. I think. I think she saw the cover 
of the trade paper bag, saw that Marco's on there, and she's like, okay, he's got to get through he's this story. Get, yeah, yeah. I don't want to disappoint the readers, so we're going to make sure this character lives. I think that's what she was doing. Dude, you're, you're just taking me down, man. I'm <laughs> loving that, giving some Elena love. And, <laughs> Elena totally broke the fourth wall. Yeah. Saw the cover of the, the yeah, book she read Yeah, she read her own comic, found out the end. Yeah. You know, that's uh, like in Spaceballs when they're watching the video. When will then be now? Right. Soon. <laughs> But uh, anyway, should we go into pick of the week? Pick of the week, yeah. I'll, I'll go first again okay. if you like. Um, now, my pick of the week is actually a book I have not read yet. Um, I'm pretty excited to. I might wait a little while. I'm going with Amazing Spider-Man 1. Now, I had for a while had been hearing about some of the cool stuff uh, Dan Slott was doing with Superior Spider-Man. And it was really cool, but I never took the plunge. I've just been off Marvel for so long that I think... I just sort of built up a wall. Right. And um, so I've gone back. I've gotten a couple of the trades, a couple of random recent issues of Superior Spider-Man. And it's totally fun. It's totally fun. The art, I know, is not a favorite of Kevin or nope. Pops. Yeah. Um, for me, I, I don't particularly like it, but it doesn't bother me. It's just weird and expressive and like, uh, you know, non-proportional and cartoony looking. But I, I accept that with a Spider-Man comic. But Amazing Spider-Man is actually the return of Peter Parker. Mm -hmm. uh, he, he, I guess, literally returned, I think it was issue 30. 30 of 31, Superior. Yeah, of Superior. Um, there's a little bit more action with him back in his body. Of course, Doc Ock, his mind had really been inhabiting Peter Parker's body, which is one of those concepts that if you tell people, I think the first thing most people will think is, that's probably pretty stupid. Um, but then when you think about you know, a mortal enemy being in your body and, and what they would do and the choices they would make. Um, there's a lot of cool stuff they do with it. So what I've read of superior really had fun with, cool. and, uh, I'm excited to actually make my way through amazing one. Nice. Um, mine is another image book uh, okay. from J. Michael Straczynski. Uh, it's called dream police. Okay. And it's pretty interesting. The, the, the number one issue just came out. Um, and basically, it, it follows these these two uh, police partners, and they they are the police or part of the police in this place called Dreamscape, which okay. is where everyone's dreams are held or, or, or what what have you. And it's it's kind of uh, it's got some lighthearted fun moments to it, but apparently, from what I've read, and they don't get into this too much in issue one, but in, in and issues to still to come, there is going to be this serious underlying story that follows this, this main character. I think his name is uh, Frank Thursday, okay. I think is his name. And anyway, basically what happens, and this is right in the, the little plot synopsis that they put out. So it's not really a spoiler, but what happens in this issue is, is, is Frank and I think his partner's name is Joe and they're, they're in. Okay. Let me go back. At the start of the issue, they're talking about, you know, how long have we known each other? And Frank is just like, I don't know. It doesn't matter. And I don't care. Okay. And then they're having dinner or lunch or whatever at, at this diner. And uh, I think Joe goes up to the bathroom or whatever. And then this lady comes uh, who is now presumed to be Frank's partner. And she goes, you know, how long have we been partners? And Frank goes, uh, I don't know. It doesn't matter. And I don't care. So just some kind of multiple personality thing going on. Or it's something. like he's not recognizing at all the fact that his partner has just changed. Do, do like you think he, it's real that that they actually it's a new person and or is he just like insane? You know, maybe I don't know. We don't okay. know enough yet. It's just issue one. That was like kind of the cliffhanger moment That's, that they leave you with. I, I love so. I love that. I love and there's that. cool stuff That's with like this cool. huge dragon and uh the nightmares, they're an actual faction within the dreamscape that, that work with the police okay. to, to when, a, when a situation's getting out of control and they don't want someone waking up for their dream and having a heart attack or a stroke or something. Right. They call in the nightmares so that we can we can jolt them out of this and they won't remember what they were dreaming about and they'll just they'll just come to quickly and yeah, safely. With the with the dream world, you know, of course obviously you don't have to be insane, like there's just different rules. So. Right. Yeah, it, it's cool. It's it is it's pretty interesting. Um nice. definitely recommend it. I mean, at least check out I'm I'm gonna check out the first few issues to see where it goes. But. And Straczynski is sort of a, a name you can trust. He's sure. done a lot of great work on a lot of different books over the years yeah, and been around for a while. He, he, I wouldn't say he's in my like top five or anything like that, but like 
you know, see the name on the book and like, you know, I've, I've read some enjoyable stuff. Yeah. I think he did some Spider-Man did. I liked. You know, so, uh, you know. Yeah, solid writer. Yeah. So, and, and he's, he's come up with a really interesting idea. And actually in the back of the book, you know, a lot of the times you'll have the writer kind of reflect back on the first issue and how okay, they came yeah, up sure. with the idea. Yeah. And apparently growing up, like, I think he, he say he moved like 20 something times in the first 18 years of his life wow. all around the country. And for him, you know, he, in his own imaginary world, he thinks of, he, he takes, he takes all these different elements from the places that he's been. So like, he'll have like this convenience store that was down the road from his grandma's house or whatever in New Jersey. And then like another block down is like, um, you know, this this grocery store drug store from Illinois or wherever right. and he's all combining them in his head as one singular place that's so cool and yeah. that was kind of the inspiration for dreamscape awesome you got yeah. so much stuff going on from different people's minds that are all merging together and then you have this police force that's trying to regulate it all and keep everything just from going crazy right so it's that's it's kind of cool yeah. it's cool very so, good dream police and amazing spider-man right yes. yeah cool. Very cool. Uh, plugs. Do you have anything to plug? I got the Stormcrow Comic Cast, yep. 336 Casting <laughs> Podcast Network. We got the app downloaded on your Android device. Uh, Three Beards. We just did a fun, crazy political episode the other night. Yeah. Um, we've got uh, Name Redacted yeah. with some stuff coming soon, I believe. Yes. We've got uh, opposed thumbs. Uh-huh. Do we have some stuff ready for them soon? They just put up a new episode, I think, like this past week. Very, so, very and cool. There's another on the way. That's yeah. right. Um, what am I missing, dude? Uh, you are missing the upcoming Midnight podcast, which oh, is right, going to be gaming podcast. Yes. And I love video games, yeah. so this uh, this is an obvious one with uh, with Matt, right? With Matt, who very cool. Yeah, who was. On a episode of three three six cast that's about to go up here pretty soon as the semester kind of wraps up, yeah. Um, and I can get caught up on the bat on the backlog. Sure. Um, big thanks to Gray as always. Yeah, yeah rocking absolutely. it. Um, I think that's that's pretty much all of my plugs. Hey baby, that's right. <laughs> so cast dot com. Check it out. Plenty of good stuff. Heck yeah, heck yeah, dude. Thanks for doing the show with Thank me. Thank you for doing it with me. Um. And as always, I guess we'll talk to all of you guys next week with saga number four. Sweet. So have a good week. See you next week.